Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Like I promised, we're back with part two. And I'm joined by Nathaniel Oke, Richard Harris, and Ryan Nile around barriers to entry in therapy, how we can get people talking about their mental health, and what it looks like for the future of Black British psychotherapeutic practices. Let's get into the show. I wanted to kick off this next part by actually speaking about the mechanics of therapy. Uh. with you Nathaniel and kind of everybody jump in with your questions just around accessibility and um, different types of therapies and if you can kind of like break down some stuff I mean I'm learning some things because of my training but I I want to you know you're a seasoned you're a seasoned peppered individual who um you know what I mean like you, you know salt and pepper you know what I mean um, so um my first question Yes, sir. Is um, what made you get into uh, becoming a therapist? Like, I know for me and mm. my generation, you know, I've, I've said this in my therapy course and my classes as well. I've been like, you know, everybody in my generation ther- uses therapy language. It's become the slogan, the boundaries, yeah, triggers, yeah, all of these yeah. different stuff. We use therapy language mm-hmm. quite a lot and we, sometimes we overuse it as a generation as well. And I'm, and I'm very aware of that too. Um, but that's our generation. Our generation co-ops quite a lot of things. Mm. But your generation, you know, slightly older, not that much. Older than me. Um, it wasn't necessarily common yeah. for black men to be therapists. So, and it still mm. isn't that much now, but yeah. what made you want to get into it and how's it been going for you so far? Well, the, for me, I've always... I don't know. I've always been different. And what I mean by that, I don't necessarily mean it like, oh yeah, very different. But <laughs> as a child, I've always been different, right? African child, Nigerian. So there's, uh, you know, we talk about the British stoicism, right? We're very mm-hmm. stoic or whatever. But for me, I always identify with that sense of this is my vision. This is what I want to do. And from a young age, and I always believe that there, there are certain things you can pluck on from your experiences to kind of go, 
what's that about? And for me, that happened when I was 16. When I was younger, when I was a child, I don't know how, but I wanted to work for UNICEF. I've always wanted to work for UNICEF. Weirdly, I don't know. Don't ask me what a child knows about UNICEF, but it was <laughs> it was about caring and looking after children. So that's how I understood it, and that's all I cared about. So when I was 16, so imagine the, the summer of, you know, going to your first year of college, right? Mm. Now, a movie needs to be made about every black child's experience of going the first year of college. It's almost like House Party, the movie. Literally. <laughs> it literally is House Party 1, House Party 2, not House Party 3, just House Party 1 and 2. <laughs> house Party 3, he's gone to university, he's gone. Um, but in that period of time, I had a seminal period and seminal experiences where black girls, my age group, 16 years old, 17, were coming to me and telling me, and these are people that didn't know each other, so they were coming to me on the ones, one-on-one, mm-hmm. one, talking about being sexually abused. Oh, no. And I would like to say that this is an anomaly. Unfortunately, it isn't. Mm-hmm. So in that summer alone, I had three separate girls, three separate at different times, coming to me, talking about stepfather abusing them, oh my God. right in the home, mother not believing them, mm. and I'm 16, yeah. so I'm 16. So imagine when you were 16, what do I know? Yeah, but I guess I believed each and every one of them. Yeah, and I don't know how, but I was present in that mm. in those moments. And then that's the first time it happened. And, you know, what can I do? I can't go and beat up anyone's stepfather. I wasn't one of the street kids that will have connections to, you know, whatever, right? I wasn't about that life. I could hold my own, but I wasn't about to be in any gangs or anything like that. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't made like that. So that happened and it was almost like, okay, you know, you can, I'm here. You can come and cut here if you need to, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then it happened again with somebody totally different. And the same thing happened where abused in the home mm-hmm. and then abused elsewhere. And then that feeling of, have I got a target on my head of being abused? And I'm like, oh, gosh, and, you know, I'm quite empathic naturally. Mm-hmm. So hearing that, I, I cried. I was upset. I was sad. I was, it hit me so hard because, and I also felt very helpless that I wanted to take that, you know, the pain away that this is wrong. You know, is that kind of same similar feeling of this is wrong. How could a child is disgusting. All of those things Mm. came into my head. I just couldn't fathom it. And then a third person, black girl being sexually abused as a child, and in all three cases, what well, the last two cases, the first one, she told her mom, her mom didn't believe her. But in the other cases, they hadn't told anyone. Mm. And I was the first one that they said this to. And it was almost like that weight of responsibility to, to, to cradle their story, their pain, their experiences. Mm. And I was like, what the hell is going on? What, why me? Right. Mm. Like, 
what is it? What have I got in my head? I'm 16. I'm like, whoo. I'm like, but, <laughs> but they saw something within it to yeah. say, <clears throat> I want to tell this guy. Yeah, he's safe. You know? Mm-hmm. And I just, I guess I asked myself, okay, what is going on? Why me? Now, if I'm going to be in a position where people are coming to me, I want to be tooled up. Yeah. Right? How can I be tooled up? Who do this? Who are they supposed to go to? Who do people go to to talk to? Mm-hmm. Right? Who do people go to to work things out and for them to hear their pain? And I was sixteen. I researched into it. I said, "Now, nah. the phrase I recall from them was, you need life experiences mm-hmm. to be a therapist." Mm-hmm. So obviously, I was sixteen. No, you know, nobody's coming to a sixteen, then eighteen when you need. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to you know, an eighteen-year-old saying, "Yeah, this is happening to me." You know. So I lived, but I always had it in my head that there's something, there's a, almost like a calling. It sounds so cheesy, but yeah. I don't care. No, uh, it's, 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 you know, so for me, that, in, you know, that's a long way of answering your question. I felt like it was a calling. I felt like there was something about me that I was okay with it. I could carry it. And I researched, studied I've been a qualified therapist now for 13 and a half years. So it's something in which, yeah, that's how I got into it. And that's the reason why I chose to do it. So that for me, that was a definite calling in that regard. Thank you. Thank you for listening to that calling. Yeah. 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 It was, it wasn't easy because um, I grew up in the, in the era of 419. Mm. I grew up in the era of, all my friends driving nice cars, yep. right? Yep. And my own personal story meant that I was alone in this country for a period of time. Yeah, I know exactly um, what I mean. Which means that I was navigating a lot of things by myself mm. without um, caregivers as just a, a certain period of time, mm-hmm. but pivotal period of time. Mm. So it, was, it would have been very, very, very easy to go into that world of, you know. So, yeah, out of everything, I would say that I'm proud of because of the temptation is an understatement. It's mm. it's right it's right there, you know. It's like being that fat kid with, with cake and donuts under your nose, like, mm. uh, you must resist, uh, you must resist. <laughs> so, yeah, um, definitely, definitely something which, yeah. I think you spoke to to something so important there about, and what Ryan kind of just affirmed was the listening to your calling. Yeah. And really speaking that, and this is what, and I'm of the firm opinion that we go to university too early with the expectations to knowing what we're supposed to do for life. Um, (laughs) At 18. I I agree with you. you 100%. I I remember 100%. doing a I remember doing a um we had to do a careers kind of questionnaire little testing and I, I and on my three top careers was teacher psychotherapist and um and there was another there was another thing that just didn't make sense male model oh, I was gonna say do rag model oh, I was gonna say do rag model <laughs> you're living a dream you fulfilled all three you know, for you're real. All three. <laughs> but, I, but I but I ignored all of that and I was like nah. And I was, and I was like, all right, I've got to do something completely different. I ended up doing languages, ended up doing journalism, and then kind of ended up coming full circle back round. But mm. again, it was that 
point that you said about the life experience stuff if mm. the like you know it's not you have to go through stuff or you know yeah. kind of navigate yeah. how you kind of manage all these things so you can bring something and mm. i think that and i remember and it's just so funny because in all of these things i can now recall several people at several points in my life at several points so early parts of secondary school late parts of secondary school and university and three particular people spoke about vocation and it's a calling and you have to listen to it and all this different stuff so when you said that now that's triggered a whole you know this kind of you know when your mind just zooms into different yeah, yeah. parts yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're just like yeah. oh wow actually yeah but we don't listen to those things we listen yeah. to what the expectations of other people are we pull mm-hmm. in all of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah I was just, just ace duster. Love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you face much opposition? Did you face any people saying, like, this isn't something you could do or this isn't something you should do? Was Were there challenges that you had to overcome in that regard? Well, for me, I've, I've, you can call it stubborn, you can call it one, you know. I've always, like I said earlier, I've always... I had this belief that I could do anything. Mm. And Lord, impart some of that to me, please. No, <laughs> you know, and I've, and I also have, I guess for me, it's knowing where you come from, knowing who you are. Yeah. So you can throw that person anywhere. They, they, they you know, the comp, they, they have a compass, that internal compass of, so for me doing it, I was like, this is what I want to do. And it's like, okay, how can I do it? And I was like, what? How much? How many days? And I'm supposed to, do, and the training for it, right? Mm-hmm. And if you want to do it right, and then afterwards, and I'm, I wanted to do a postgraduate, and I'm like, how much? Mm-hmm. A year, and I'm, hold on, am I going to be able to? And it's no wonder so, middle class white people mm-hmm. usually are in the in, in the industry, right? Because you need that sugar daddy or sugar mommy, mm-hmm. and you know, no sugar daddy for me. I'm not, I'm not inclined that way. Uh, sugar mummies were not available at that period of time. I guess <laughs> if they were, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be all noble and say I would have resisted that one. I wouldn't have resisted, right? <laughs> I'll have been yes, auntie. You know <laughs> that, that kind of situation. <laughs> By any like Malcolm said, in it. By any means, you know. So there was no, there was no objections wow. there. But it was it was about I was a father as well mm-hmm. early on. So I was like, all right, how can I do this? So I paused it a lot, and I'm like, I like my responsibility is being a dad, being a father. I need to provide. You know, when we were talking about earlier about that expectations, that yes. yeah is internalized automatically. I'm a dad. I should be, I should provide this or that. But I also want to do this. Mm-hmm. But no. And it's about navigating that. So for me, that was the challenge. And when I actually made the decision, and this is something that I've learned over time for myself, and I think a lot of people feel similar. Once you've made a decision about something and you've accepted that this mm-hmm. is what you want or this is how things are, a huge weight goes off your shoulders mm-hmm. because what is left now is now, how can I do it? Mm-hmm. Right. What do I need to do? What college do I need to go to? What do I need to study? You know, where do I need to find a placement? Uh, all right. Now I want to be even a, a better therapist. I need a postgrad. Okay. Where can I go for that? In what topic? 
mm. and things along those lines at different ways. How can I pay for this? Mm. I need to work full time, so I can only do this part time. Right. So it's going to take me a little bit longer. Okay, do it. Because I usually like doing things. How long? Let me do it now. Right. But if if my pocket is saying no, <laughs> and I have to go to work full time, mm. and finding employers that would also understand me going, you know, studying for half a day on a Tuesday it was, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, Lord, I'm in probation. And uh, and then I'm going to have to tell them, oh, by the way, you're offering me a contract? Oh, thank you. By the way, Tuesday, can I leave at 12? Because I've got a session from 1 to 5.30 or whatever it was, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So there are certain logistical things that made it difficult financial constraints, mm-hmm. trying to work, trying to raise, you know, my boy mm-hmm. um, and trying to live life. And mm-hmm. oh, gosh, it'd be easy for me to take this job in accounts mm-hmm. because I'll have more money. I'll just, I'll be all right. You know, mm-hmm. Nathaniel, the accountant. So, you know, it's almost like a real McCoy sketch, right? Oh, I was about to drop that. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Not, you know. Nathaniel, the accountant. Nathaniel. I swear there was actually a Nathaniel, the accountant, in the real McCoy. Yeah, there was. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. I remember Phoenix that when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah. Feel, listen. Yeah. I remember, I remember that very clearly. So yeah, so those were the, but not for, not externally, not from family or friends. Friends, mm. they didn't really know about it because they weren't on that frequency. And I understood that very early on. You're going to say to your friend that you want to be a psychotherapist. What, does, what is that? What does that mean? Yeah. So for me, it's like sometimes I think we say our vision to too many people. Yeah. And then we get surprised when they do not share our enthusiasm or our vision. The vision isn't for them. That's it. It's, they, they, they are reacting based on their level of their frequency. And yeah. it's not even their fault. It's not our day. They're being bad mind. Mm, actually, they're not. They are basically acting like holding like, why? We, what? Huh? Mm. You know. So that was it. That was it for me. As soon as I decided that it's gonna happen, you just did it. I knew it was gonna happen. Don't know how long it was gonna take. Maybe I'll pause one here or there. It was gonna happen. And mm. yeah. Good on you. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm here now. So. Amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, all right, right. Yeah, on that on that same topic, I mean, the the question that came into my head was, okay, so now, you know, you're in the the field and you're yeah. like male therapist. I was going to ask about if you received any resistance in terms of being included in that in that field from your from your colleagues, mm. but I wanted to just flip it around a bit and can you just tell us, a, uh, you know, a story about when you did feel included, actually. When I felt included, I I felt included when I felt more comfortable because naturally I'm, I, I speak up. I'm one of those ones that I can be with CEOs or, uh, the, 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 the cleaner or whatever it is. I'm that like, we're talking like, and because I've always had this innate feeling within me that no one, a position is not going to determine your worth over me. 100%. Right? So once I felt comfortable within the field of psychotherapy, because at that point I was like, okay, I've just qualified. I'm in a placement. I'm here to learn, which means my, you know, I might knowledge def, you know, deficiency because I'm looking there. So I can't really be going, yeah, but 
But then the first time I felt, I guess, included or powerful was when another therapist in, um, in group supervision made a comment that I felt uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. And the comment was around African men, mm-hmm. black men. And I worked at a placement that dealt with violent and abusive behaviors, right? So mm-hmm. uh, men exhibiting abusive behaviors mm-hmm. and working towards them changing their, their ways, their behavior. And there was a comment that was made by a fellow therapist about, yeah, but it's in the culture to be abusive right. and right. violent. And this was a white therapist. The supervisor was white. And this went unchecked. Mm. And I was sitting there like, okay. Um, <laughs> so I challenged him. I said, what do you mean by that? Right. I wanted clarification before I, you know, I pulled yeah. the trigger. <laughs> you have to you have to make sure you've got the right address. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Was just the equivalent of <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what, what you you're again? telling me is <laughs> what you, yeah, 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 yeah. Say what again? Say what again? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and he repeated it. He said, "Well, you know, that's facts," and he labeled it as facts. Wow. And I'm very, um, you know, blackety black, not only visually, but politically as well, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I challenged him and said, based on what experience would you make such a general statement, especially in this field we're working in, where non-judgmental, Positioning is what we're supposed to aspire to, right? And you're going to say this, which means the clients you're going to have, there's going to be a certain way you're going to be treating those black men almost to say, ah, you know, it's in your blood, it's in your DNA, it's in your culture. Mm. And at that point, and the supervisor challenged me and said, well, I don't think he meant that. I said, I've asked him and he repeated it. Yeah. And he repeated and he stated this is what he meant. Exactly. And I was like, <laughs> so for me, at that moment, my card was marked. Mm. But my card was marked. And unfortunately for them, that made my shoulders broader, mm-hmm. my back broader. Mm. And I walked in that. So anytime a topic will come up in regards to race, especially in psychotherapy, I'll talk from a position of knowledge rather than from a position of conscious bias, mm. all right? Um, so, yeah, so that uh, that was when I felt comfortable for me right. to have my natural self show up in that space. That's a, that's a fascinating answer. Yeah. That's a really fascinating answer, mm. um, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, just on that topic then, in terms of, so Alex and, and, and Rich, um, have been or are in therapy. I haven't mm-hmm. been. So I'm I'm researching at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, how the steps to get in, like yeah. who who would I pick? Like what does that even look like? <laughs> yeah. So in terms of just um off off of that point, would you then recommend a black male to seek out a black male therapist? 
particularly as well from from the UK versus mm. America because of the lived experience? I would I would not recommend a black ther- a black person see anyone for me. Mm. The the person has to decide for themselves, right? Mm. And sometimes it may be, you know, as much as I love jollof rice, sometimes I like to go out to a restaurant and eat something else. <laughs> That's too, as a, real. As a yeah. variation, right? Mm. Or sometimes, like like the English tourist, I could just go to a different country. I could go to Zanzibar. I'm like, I want fish and chips, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I may go to seek what I'm comfortable with without me having to explain myself. Mm. Like all of us here, I haven't asked any of you what it feels like to be a black man. I haven't asked any of you if you are black or if you identify as black. I haven't asked any of you if you trust police or if you're aware of the white gaze. I haven't asked any of you if you feel pressured or stressed or overwhelmed with society in general and expectations, not only as men, but as black men. I haven't asked any of you of the stereotypes that you've faced that you feel either you have to live up to or you have to push against. I haven't asked any of you if you feel that where you go to a white space, you feel you represent billions of black people all over the world. So I can't mess up because if I mess up, I'm messing up billions of people. Right. I haven't asked any, I haven't asked any of you those questions. And the reason why I haven't asked those questions is because there's almost an, ex, uh, an assumed expectation that you get me, yeah. you understand me. There's certain things that, we share, even if we don't know each other, right? Hence, they had not. Yeah. And in a therapeutic space, that may be something that's beneficial for you to have mm. without you having to explain that part of you. And more importantly, for you to feel understood and seen. Not just lip service seen, as in, yeah, yeah, you know, not the head nod and mirroring, that, you know, therapists are taught very early on, you know, mirror, reflect, all of those kind of things. But you feel somebody feels you, mm. right? So for me, everyone will have to choose for themselves. Right. Me personally, it's always interesting to be in a room where you feel comfortable. Mm. And um, in therapy, there's, there's this phrase that is used a lot in therapy by a therapist which is the working alliance and the working alliance in essence just describes the relationship that the align it's you're not coming to an expert mm. right mm. how successful the therapy is is not actually determined on how much knowledge i have mm. it sounds weird right and when i first heard it i was like what do you mean what am i here for then <laughs> right I could just win. Give me it. back my money, then. Yeah. <laughs> but what it what it says is, and what I agree with is that the relationship is the therapy. Yeah. And it's so true. And it's something which I thought of when I first started training, and even to today, I believe it to be true. Mm-hmm. I can come to you with different angles, and I'm like, I've got an insight. Oh my god, yes, I've got it. I've got. I've traced the, the link to, to how this started, the origin of these issues, and this is linked to this. And I've got it almost like a mind map, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's pointless. Mm. Because I can't tell you all of those things. Mm. What needs to happen is our relationship will determine how comfortable you are to talking. Mm. 
how comfortable you are to listening and how comfortable you are to trusting the relationship to guide you and take you there. So you have all of that to work with. So for me, if you're comfortable and you can build a a working alliance or good relationship with your therapist that you feel safe, you feel they see you or hear you, whether they're black or white, if you can get to that place, then you're more inclined to have a successful therapeutic relationship. Mm, That's fascinating. Thank you for the answer. That's that's made me think completely differently about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's up to you. You know, the customer's always right. Um, (laughs) Nathaniel, I have an essay to write. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be crediting you. It's going to be, I think Rich has a, you had a question around um, cost. Yeah. Because mm. me and Rich were debating with each other <laughs> the, other, the other day. And I was like, so it'd be interesting to see kind of, so huh. <clears throat> go on with yeah. it, go on with it. So obviously, with therapy, yeah. there is a barrier to entry. For a lot of people who are on lower or unstable income, um, you know, £60 an hour, £70 an hour, £100 an hour uh-huh, can uh-huh. be or can seem unattainable. Yeah. What helpful suggestions or practices or advice or challenges do you have for, for, for that bracket of people who are thinking to themselves... I want this, I want this resource, I want to enter this space, but mm-hmm. it feels impenetrable at the moment. It feels impossible. That's a, that's a good question. And part of the reason why I did the online Instagram weekly therapy sessions, right, is for that reason, for access to it. Um, I don't necessarily look at it as a barrier because... You can think of driving, oh my gosh, the cost is the barrier for it, but we still find a way to get it done, right? To, to buy a car or do this. We're thinking of, oh, how much is it to go on holiday and fly? It's about, what, 1,200 pounds to stay there. You spend food, no, you're there for 10 days. Oh, that's, yeah, but we do it, right? Mm. And phone bill, sky bill, cable bill, all of those things, we still do it. It's how important what importance we place on the activity to determine whether we do it or not. But I'm saying all of that, but the bottom line is for a lot of people, the cost is the thing that's holding them back from it. And the NHS, they do great work in a lot of fields, but in regards to people accessing mental health support, there's a huge waiting list. Right. Mm. And Imagine you've got suicide ideation and you go seeking help and it's all right, you know what? We'll see you in a few months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so yeah. just for people who don't know, <clears throat> uh, end of 2019, I was speaking to a youth worker and she said, a young person came to me and said, you know, I'm thinking about taking my own life. So the youth worker was straight on the phone to CAMS, um, Child and Mental Health Services. Uh-huh. Spoke to a representative who says, had the has the young person attempted to take their life? She said no, but they've disclosed they're having suicidal ideation. There's a bit of self harm. The person at camp said, "There's absolutely nothing I can do. 
when this young person attempts to take their life, call us back. I will put them on a waiting list and they will be able to see someone in nine months. Wow. Nine months. So that was at, that was in 2019. Yeah, pre-pandemic. That was before the lockdown. Mm. So you can only imagine now. And mm-hmm. I don't like saying that the NHS is free, mental health services, because it's not. It's just prepaid. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that service, you get, I think, six, six sessions? Six sessions, yeah. Six sessions. So I'm just going to tell you, the listeners out there, Six sessions with my therapist was like <laughs> just about enough time for me to be thinking, am I really going to be talking to this person a long time? Because right. <laughs> it is like exactly what Nathaniel said. Like you, it, it's it's like going on, it's like the first few sessions for me is like, I could liken it to going on a date. You know, you're getting to know them. They're getting to know you. You're figuring out each other's language. You're figuring out, you're just feeling out the room. Mm. feeling out the space do i feel safe in this space like what things am i noticing in this space do i want to open up so six sessions to me is nothing Hmm. yeah but with the cost wise there are different agencies there are different places in which i would encourage people to seek out there are different charities that are offering you know free mental health that they will pay for, the the charities will pay for, right? For black people, for different groups, you know, Asian, African, like white. So there are different places there. And also you've got some counseling agencies that have got low-cost therapy. And with low-cost therapy, you have potential of seeing a, a volunteer counselor that's in training, but at a certain level that they can see clients, right? So that would also lower the cost. Then you've got a company like my uh, my company, Talking Therapy Clinic, that are putting certain things in place to be able to do that low-cost therapy, but also including it to be intercultural, which means you may see a black therapist if you wish to, right? Mm. Um, and there are different agencies you can look into. That if you are a student, you can go via your, your student body and everything like that. So there's more now than there were five years ago, mm-hmm. options for that, right? Mm-hmm. But keep looking for it and use other resources that you may not be able to see a therapist yet, but there are resources in which can almost support you and let you know you're not alone until you can see a therapist, right? right? Yeah. Stepping stones. Yeah, yeah, there are different, different things in which you can look at. There are different things online, there are people that look like yourselves. All I would say to anyone seeking that, and I want to make this very clear, is at the bottom of my email that I send to anyone, I've got my BACP number, right? And what basically that means is that I'm registered with the BACP stands for British Association of Counseling Psychotherapy, mm-hmm. right? They regulate a huge, they're the biggest regulators of psychotherapists and counselors mm-hmm. in this country. And why I do not want, I want people to do the due diligence before they part with not only their money, I'm not really as bothered as the money, but with their minds, mm-hmm. with, with the vulnerable space, I want people to do the due diligence. You can't ask a therapist to provide you with who they're registered with. 
you can ask your therapist to confirm if they're insured. You can ask a, a therapist to let you know what their, qualifi- what their qualifications are or what their experiences are. Mm-hmm. You can even do all of this before you impart any money. I offer clients, and I started doing this from last year, a free consultation phone call that could up to 10, 15 minutes in which I am basically telling you about who I am, right. answering any question you have, but also asking you why you want to start therapy. The reason why I'm doing that is because I want to know on my level, my proficiency level, whether I am a good fit for you, even before we have an assessment. Because my assessment costs money. We're going to sit down. We're going to do a 15-minute assessment. Before we get to that, if I've identified very early on that what you're bringing to therapy may be something above my pay level, or my experience, mm. at that moment, I will save you that time. I'll say, actually, I may recommend you to this colleague that specializes in this field, or I feel that maybe, do you feel you may need a female therapist or whatever it may be? And I do that free of charge as a consultation if somebody's interested, mm. right? Mm. These are the things nobody should be saying, I'm going to charge you 100 pounds for a quick five-minute phone call. <laughs> if they do, everybody's different. So I'm not going to be talking about how other people make the money, but my thing is in this field, it's so important that we do our due diligence before we take anyone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The thing, and um, that's a very, very important point as well. Um, and I'm of the opinion that, you know, the title of therapist needs to be protected Yeah. Um, in the UK because it's not therapist and coach. Um, are not protected. Really? Yeah. Whereas things like counselling psychologist, educational psychologist and clinical psychologists are protected. You need a particular Mm -hmm. amount of, Mm. like you need a particular qualification, a particular training. And um, like last week I saw an article from the BBC. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the the title is unqualified therapists are exploiting vulnerable patients. Yeah. And it's just literally just down to what you said about, you know, the guy the case study that was in this article, the guy was charged two hundred pounds. Was he charged two hundred pounds for a fifteen-minute introductory call, mm-hmm. and then he was charged twelve hundred pounds for for six fifty-minute sessions, which is you know whatever. Mm-hmm. But the sessions weren't psychologically safe. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, the therapist was talking. The therapist was like walking, grabbing a, getting a taxi, eating. Um, <laughs> And then kind of telling the client it was his fault because of all this other stuff and all these other things. Mm-hmm. That right. Um, vulnerable people. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just, I'm just saying that to reinforce your point, Nathaniel, yeah. about mm. have those conversations and make sure you do yeah. due diligence. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So on that point as well, so we're talking about finance potentially being a barrier. Um, I had a question about knowing when you should seek out therapy. Like if, yeah. if that's something that comes up as an individual or if it's, is it coming from, you know, close ones saying you could, you could do with some help. You could do yeah. with some assistance here. How, yeah. how do we identify when we need it? Cause I'm, I mean, I'm going through the, the process now. Mm. Um, and it's, I was asked a question yesterday. Okay. So why, why now? Um, and for me, it was more of nothing. Um, there hasn't been a huge event that's happened to me personally, mm. 
However, there's been an accumulation of patterns mm. that I'm noticing that I'm carrying around unknowingly into every situation. And I'm like, do you know what? If you keep on doing the same thing and expecting different results, come on, you you got to just start seeking out some different knowledge pockets. Uh-huh. Um, so for me, that was, for me, it's about curiosity and, and um, just looking into uh, how, how to look into that and where, where that, where the origin of that is. Uh-huh. But I can say that from me being in a like in an energetically good place. I know for sure when I haven't and I have felt depressed and I have gone through those moments. I don't want that. It's the idea of then, mm-hmm. even though intellectually I know going to speak mm-hmm. to someone is the right thing to do. All of that. I don't want to. It, there's something yeah. within me that just says no. Like just yeah. deal with it yourself. When you emerge, then you can go talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and this is and this is, you know, this is uh, someone who, again, like intellectually, I know what the thing to do, and I've got a support circle. Like I could call Alex at any time and know that I have that safe space to uh-huh. to talk about it. But I suppose the fear is actually he's going to tell me what I need to hear at that moment, and actually I don't want what I need to hear. Uh-huh. in that moment so the question is for people that i suppose feel the extreme version uh-huh. of that and that maybe don't even know that they need that they could use therapy or they could use um assistance and conversations like that how what are the steps that even you know break down that barrier or approach uh the the conversation about therapy with people well I find therapy is more effective when the person makes that decision to seek the help, right? It's like, you know, you can lead a horse to water and all of that. It's like, yeah, okay, now you're in the water, drink. Mm. No, I'll drink when I want to drink, right? (laughs) And you have to make that decision. What I would say is that everybody's different, right? Some people actually make a decision when there's calmness, when their life is not hectic and it's almost like the weight of it is just dawning them. Other yes. people, they're in crisis and they're like, oh, oh, I need help. If you're in the dark and you put your shirt on backwards, right, you feel that it's not quite right. Yeah. You, you don't need to look and go, oh, actually, I put it wrong. You feel, even if you put a button out of place in the wrong hole, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, feel, yeah, you know. So imagine in, within all of us, we always, we always I, I believe we all know that something's not quite right or I'm, I don't know is I'm feeling something. And for me, it's as simple as having a conversation of, you know, what, I'm not feeling the way I'm used to feeling. I don't know what's going on for me. Yes. And then having somebody that is totally unrelated, being able to explore what it could be. Mm. Right. And why it's showing up right now. And in what way is it showing up and what patterns are emerging from it showing up that you can identify and it's very relaxed. It's not this trumpet blaring of, we are going to therapy. And in therapy, somebody's sitting there saying, wow, what is going on with you? Now let me feel your chakras and mm-hmm. all the other whatever the hell people may think is going on. It's as simple as we are having right now. Mm-hmm. Boy, it's trying to understand you. It's giving you enough space for you to, because you are the one providing yeah. And this is the thing we get paid, right? For what you bring. I'm not bringing, I'm not, I'm like, you talk to me. 
Right. And from what you are saying, because you're so close to it, it's like if you, I say this to a lot of people, put your hand in your face, right? It becomes blurry. You can't really see. You're too close to it. You don't notice what's there or there. Right. But somebody else can just look at that information that you haven't even registered. Mm-hmm. Somebody's like, when did this start? Mm-hmm. Oh, it started in 2014. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know why. I don't know why I've been like this for the last seven years. Okay. Anything else? significant happened in 2014 yeah i lost my job lost my girlfriend <laughs> i thought that this I'm like, okay uh-huh yeah. and you know and these people represented what you know they were my safety net they were my security and when they went i i i, I felt lost okay and it's trying to understand that so rather you feeling that there's something wrong with me it's going it's nothing wrong with you all these things that you're going through are as a result of this. Mm. Now, understanding it, what can you do with it? But in essence, when you feel that you want to seek something out, right, you know it. You may listen to it or you may not, right? Yes. And you may have other obstacles because of the modeled behavior you've had with states, you must go through this alone. You must show your strength and power as a man and be resilient you can only speak about it once you've overcome. Mm-hmm. And then rather than it become rather than it being a story of toil and suffering, it now becomes a story of triumph. Mm-hmm. Right? So now I can speak from a position of triumph mm-hmm. rather than from a position of oh, I need help. I'm seeking something. So we feel more comfortable being, yeah, I did that. I slayed that dragon, you know. Yeah. Rather than saying, help, there's a dragon here. <laughs> help me. Come on, slay this dragon. It's, you know, it's better because we feel maybe that we feel more empowered and we'll be seen in a more powerful way by mm. talking about it after. And it's finding out where has that come from for you? Where has that way of dealing with things come from for you? Right. And once you identify and try and understand that, you may be like, okay, the next time I'm going through things, because now I understand that the way I've dealt with it was due to this. Maybe the next time I go through it, I may choose a different way. So we can all share in the triumph of slaying the dragon or supporting Ryan from slaying that dragon. Mm. You know, you feel connected and you feel supported, which gives you a higher well-being and everything else. Like, what? I've waited all these years to do this, you know? So yeah, the the diff- but you really you f- I, I think you'll feel it when you know something is not mm. quite right with you. For sure. <clears throat> hmm. Thank you for that. Sorry. Thank Do you, you mind if that. I jump on the back of that with a question that I got from from Instagram? Um. So kind of around that idea of men wanting to share after mm-hmm. from that place of strength. The question that I got was. Um, are men and women socialized to process pain, loss, tragedy, trauma, grief differently, both individually and, and corporately or communally? And what are some ways, some some rituals um, that could be adopted, particularly in the kind of black male community? to foster more connection with the whole spectrum of, of feelings and not just 
you know, these ideas of like strength and triumph and, and you know, mm. overcoming power. Um, <clears throat> so that we can normalize healthier ways and healthier modes of, of, of processing mm. emotions. So, sorry, two, kind of two questions. Yeah. But for, for men and women, I, I, I don't fall into generalizing because I've, I've got experiences of some men that are quite emotionally aware and literate. And then I've got the the stereotypical men that are not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think communally, and when we're looking at socially, when we think about speaking and talking, do we feel there's a space for us to be as real, authentic as possible? And us being real and authentic is not always going to look like strength. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to feel like strength. And for a lot of women that I know, in my experience, there seems to be a space. Yeah. It's almost automatic. It's almost assumed, yeah. right, that when you can cry to another, to your girlfriend, you can cry to your, to your aunties or your sisters, you can talk about and you can be emotional. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're thinking about men, the idea of calling your boys crying, saying this girl left me or she cheated on me or I failed my exams or I'm sad, or, I'm lonely or I'm upset, nobody's going to love me or, mm-hmm. right? Like, think about that for a moment as a man saying those things. Not saying crying because your football team lost or crying because you got, you know, different things that seem almost manly. Mm-hmm. So where do these feelings go? Right, all these feelings are not being explored or even not being allowed to be explored. So when you're alone, it's pushing at the back of your mind like, nope, nope, I'm not going to go there. Mm. What are you storing it for? Mm. So imagine it's a storage unit that's filled to the brim mm. of all these things and what do you think is going to happen to it? You know, right? It's, it's not Aladdin's cave where it's just going to keep going and go. No, 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 no. What do you think is going to happen to those feelings? What are you storing it for? For a rainy day? Right. <laughs> yeah. So for me, in in regards to that, uh, that answers your first question. The second part of your question, please state that to me again. So, what what rituals can we adopt and foster to close that gap? To, well, yeah, 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 to normalize healthier modes of of emotional processing. Well, I, I think it's possible, but I think it's it's, it's a huge undertaking. If I'm going to be real. But I remember also thinking that it was going to be real undertaking when they said no smoking yeah. indoors, right? Mm. And I was like, yeah, right. All these smokers that I see every day, right? They've done killed Roy Castle. Now they're coming for all of us. If you guys don't know about Roy Castle, I think it was the most famous person to die of passive smoking. Wow. You know, it didn't, it didn't smoke. Boy, it was diagnosed with lung cancer and based on the fact that he used to go to a lot of uh, clubs to perform people smoking and everything else. And But that happened. And I was like, what? So you guys could actually not smoke indoors, mm-hmm. right? And also even further back than that, before my time, seatbelts. Yeah. You must have your seatbelt. I'm like, yeah, right. Are you gonna Are you gonna control that? 
But over a period of time, you know, social scientists will say this, there are different ways in which you can convince a group of people to do certain things and normalize that behavior and attach that behavior to a different meaning, mm. right? So talking instead of being moist and soft and mm. feminine, like we all don't have feminine within us. There's a duality in mm. every human being, masculine, feminine, all of that, Right. It's just natural. I hate to break it to any of you men listening, going, no, there's no feminine thing in my book. Yeah, we've all got that duality within us, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea of talking being a sign of weakness is the first thing that needs to shift because you have to ask yourself, what are the obstacles for you to talk as a man? What is stopping you from talking? But when you think about it, you talking about skating earlier. The idea of me skating is like, oh, Lord, my kneecap, my elbow. I remember when I went to skate, it was in King's Cross or somewhere like that years ago. And I was like, Bagley's. I was, I was that guy. I was like, I'm not falling. I am not falling. You know, gladiators. I was like, that. Yeah. I would, and I'm seeing people go backwards and I'm like, stop taking a piss, man. Come on, what's wrong? And they, they're doing round and they're going like this and they're going... And, and, you know, doing the sh shoulder shimmy, I'm like, that is crazy. Yeah. But the more you habituate and you do something and you mm -hmm. attach meaning to it, that's different from how you've been raised to think it means you start changing. You can only change it within yourself rather than even the society. Mm. If, and if we start seeing people that are talking like this, the amount of men doing my lives that were going, you know what? You don't look moist. And you're talking, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's that kind of thing. You expect somebody to be talking, to be... I don't know what image some men have in their minds, but when you're talking from a position and you're being real, because a lot of things we're talking about here, it resonates with a lot of men yeah. that somehow haven't found their way or haven't found the space for them to be able to feel that they have an audience to see them. That's most, mm. one of the most beautiful and powerful things for human beings is to be seen yeah. and heard yeah so uh, the more we normalize it by platform like this mm -hmm. being the friend in the group I, I'm, I'm like i'm like you ryan i'm that friend in the group that like, are you doing and yeah. i asked twice yes right because yeah, yeah. the first one no nah, no nah, let me one, ask you three times though. <laughs> <laughs> the first one don't count man the first one don't count like other things um, so it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the second one that we hey, it's the, it's for the, the neck. It's the second one that really counts if you got the opportunity to be there at that period in time. But yeah, you ask them again, <laughs> you know, two okay. times, and it's like, all right, then they feel comfortable to say it. But yeah, mm. um, I want to say two more questions. Look, mm -hmm. I can't lie to you. I'm hungry. Um, but the one thing I was going to ask was about one thing I'm kind of struggling with at the minute in training is mm -hmm. that I am I'm loving like studying and reading like Freud and Jung and um, one of them guys and Adler and all of that, mm -hmm. and then. But then I'm kind of, I'm super aware that these are Eurocentric models and ideals mm -hmm. of therapy. And I, and I'm, and like, 
and I, it's that fear of entering into kind of a space where you are then perpetuating Eurocentric ideas as a black mm. person yeah. in the West, which kind of makes sense, but then also you just don't want to do that. So um, <laughs> I was thinking, yeah. like, what do you think about that? Like, what can black therapists um, do to kind of create blended um ideas around mm. kind of therapeutic models or things of that nature or are there any resources that you think that someone could kind of like tap into um as therapeutic practice and how do you kind of use your nigerian background to mm. build on your practice well i definitely believe that there needs to be a hybrid of models mm. not not only because of my background, but a lot of black people are a combination yeah. of backgrounds, right? You live in the UK, yeah. you are going to have certain vernacular, you are going to be exposed to certain things that naturally is going to seep into your psyche, mm-hmm. right? So my Nigerian background is mixed now with a very British, Mm -hmm. you know, environment and exposure to things. So there definitely needs to be a hybrid. Mm -hmm. Speaking to a client, and this client stays, sticks with me over the years because it was the first time I could actually look at it clinically, the effects of racism of someone. This is a black man, right? And his experiences had an impact on him that shifted the way he behaved. Mm. Um, It presented with paranoia. And he was seen as this this King Kong character, right? Mm. Untamed beast. And it was only in therapy with me, not because it's me, but I I feel it checked me out because in that, in, 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 in that field of therapy, I was working in at the time. It's male clients for that particular time that are exhibiting violent and abusive behavior. Mm -hmm. And it comes into the therapy room, legs wide open, right? checking me out, almost leaning forward in a certain position. Unbeknownst to him, I was Neo in the Matrix in regards to I could see his movements, what he's doing, what he's basically trying to do. You know, Mm -hmm. it's basically the dog urinating on the lamppost, like this is my territory. Mm -hmm. And rather than being threatened by that, because that's what he wanted, He showed me his behavior. He showed me his mindset. And he basically showed me how he lived in the outside world Mm. just in that first Mm. meeting, Mm. just from that first act. And when I saw him as a person rather than as what was written down or I was trying to present himself and talk about all the triumphs he's had in the physical field of fighting and everything else. 
then the real work started because he felt seen. Hmm. Now, someone like that, British, but also with a Caribbean background, African background, is a hybrid there of understanding how your unique experience is, is different from the white clients I had. And because I could see that side of him, I could see him, like I expressed earlier, he gave something back within the group, within the session. Right. Right. I was tapping into certain knowledge I had of black, African or Caribbean backgrounds and households. That is very different. You shouting is not a form of aggression. Right. But the, the DSM-4 and DSM-5 historically has showed certain behavior linked with aggression. You guys, if you live in London, you've been on buses over the years, you hear black men talking. I've never, if you hear black men whispering, that's when there's problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. So true. So true. <laughs> All right. Now, now think about it. For a white therapist, yeah. without that knowledge or background, yeah. and part of the reason why black people, black men, are disproportionately put into the mental health system, yeah. sectioned, is there are people that are assessing them and determining what happens to them. There's research to show that black people are offered medication or being sectioned first. Usually that comes at the end, right? We try different things. You're not going to go to the doctor and say, you know what, I've got a headache. Ah, right, you know what, let's take your brain out. Let's chop your head off. <laughs> Problem solved, right? We're going to look at different ways in which to treat it. Now, as a black person within that field, you can go, yeah, but it's shouting though. It's really aggressive. So that's a sign of psychosis. It's a sign of, no, it's a sign. Where is it from? <laughs> West, Af- West Africa? That's a sign that the man is happy, man. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know? And it's that awareness, right? Yeah. To actually, we're not going to include this as a way of sectioning this person. We're not going to include this. There's certain things in which if a black person is behaving a certain way, doesn't automatically mean this, mm-hmm. right? A black, a white person shouting is a form of aggression. Oh my gosh, there's danger there. A black person may be different. Mm-hmm. A white person just, this is even so true. My mom washing the dishes, she's having two or three conversations with herself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? So does that mean that, oh, she's, this is one of the, the, the signs of, oh, mental health issues. They're talking to themselves. It's a sign of madness. Who are they talking to? Who do you see in the room? And what are they saying for you to do? Now, understanding the cultural background of that, I can also understand that there's more than psychosis of madness or any other form of mental health issues you want to subscribe to that is going on. So in answer to your question, I do believe that there needs to be a hybrid of mm-hmm. that where white therapists are culturally trained. And this is similarly this year, 2021 in the UK, only now did the, the, the hairstylist union. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
Yeah. Talk to themselves that yeah. every hairstylist should know how to cut every hair type. Black hair. Right? Black Tony hair. and Guy, I'm coming. Right? I'm not going. I'm not going. Don't your money. I ain't going. 2021. <laughs> so if you think about that for a moment, yeah. you go to a hairstylist, do you cut black hair? Do you go to a therapist? Do you understand black culture? Mm. Right? Mm. So there needs, I understand white culture because like I said to you, I've been exposed to it, right? I can tell you about the different cultural things that's occurred. I went to school in this country, right? Higher education, secondary school in this country. So I'm exposed to that. I understand and I can tap into the culture, right? Mm. It's not for me. It's for my white colleagues that may need to understand that because otherwise what you're basically saying is that, nah, I can't cut your hair, yeah. right? No, we, everyone needs to understand not only black culture, yeah. but black mixed, black growing up in the Western culture, culture, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a little bit different. Because right. growing, growing up, yeah. you know, being African is different from being black British, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Being Caribbean is different from being Black British. Yep. Black British in itself is got a mixture of those two things, correct, where yeah. it's a fight of identity and everything else. So there needs to be an understanding of that and how that presents itself, mm-hmm. right? If you go to India or Pakistan, when someone is saying, yes, they shake their heads. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I'm like, that makes no sense. Imagine coming here and you using your Western and your view of Shaking head means no. Mm-hmm. And I keep asking this person, is the sky blue? And my man is not shaking his head saying, nah, there's something wrong with him, sectioning. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, he's saying, yeah, yeah. what yeah. in essence he's saying is yes. So it's mm-hmm. understanding the different how we all present individually. So yes, in answer to your question, I do believe there needs to be that. And I, I, think, yeah. that, I think that's going to be amazing um, to see like how a, a very specific black British um, intention in therapeutic practice is going to come about um, a <laughs> yeah. very specific kind of thing because it is a hybrid culture. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see what that looks like as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Consider. creating something like that. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Any more questions, guys? <laughs> says Alex as his stomach <laughs> is rumbling any more questions you better know <laughs> just to keep your plate a little further for you Alex um, brother. um so Ryan touched on this a little bit earlier <clears throat> but when broaching the topic of mental illness with loved ones how do you open up a conversation particularly with a man who, for instance, would believe that asking for any kind of help is weakness. Uh How do you, you know, that seems so impenetrable. How do you begin to even have those conversations and open up that that space? What would get you to listen to someone? Don't do the... (laughs) 
No. Is that the, the therapy, the boomerang question? Uh, interesting no. question. How would but, you talk? <laughs> no, but, but think about it, right? That's a very we're, good point, though. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're trying to have this magic bullet that answers yeah. everything, but yeah. everything is surrounding the individual. Everything. Mm-hmm. Every group is about individuals within the group. It's not a group. Mm-hmm. Every individual is within the group. What would, how would somebody be able to connect with you? For me, I want to feel safe that I can trust that person yeah. or trust their judgment yeah. or trust that they, they've got my best interest at heart. Yeah. For me also, it may sound weird, but I, will, I want them to be weak as well. Mm-hmm. So then that way I'll feel comfortable with being weak as I see it. So it may be divulging information of like, you know what, awesome. I went through this oh, or I right. was this. And, you know, if I, if I think going to therapy is weakness, right. And I'm about to show you my, nah, right. It's like, nah, then this person is going to have one on me. Like, yeah. yeah. So in a situation like that, a lot of people may find it easier for you to be vulnerable first. Right. Yeah. Right. You offer up. And, yeah. yeah, you know, listen, a lot of, is it is a reason why people don't show their cards when they're playing. It's like, no, 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 if I show you, then you're going to beat me. Then I'm going to lose. And mm. it's that competitive nature that a lot of men do have with other men. It's right? kind of like a dance so as well, isn't it? Real, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, I'm going to step into so you, here and then you're going to yeah. give and take and you kind of just... Yeah, mm. yeah, because that person wants to, you know, it's scary. And an an acknowledgement that I need help. It's like I can't squeeze, you know, the genie can't be put back in, you know, in the lab. Yeah. It's like now it's out. Oh my yeah. gosh, now I've said I'm I'm vulnerable, now I've said I'm I'm this, I'm that. So by having that conversation and someone feeling that actually you've got a good track record in regards to you've got good credit in the bank when it comes to talking and listening and supporting me. So when you come to say certain things it's not because you read an article and you think you're an expert now or it's not because you're talking from a position of I'm better than you no you need to go to there's something wrong with you yes like, Hold on, what about you you've got problems too or whatever <laughs> right and if you can have that conversation and being as authentic as you can which may mean you're being vulnerable too and they may not listen to you the first time right and knowing that you are still there even though they didn't listen to you you're still there Mm-hmm. they can still count on you yeah. it can be so important for someone to feel that like, oh you know what well, let me speak to this person I don't know what to do I don't know how to you know and start that conversation hopefully mm-hmm. that's so powerful that's so powerful particularly because a lot and this is from my experience within Caribbean households where the the topic doesn't get raised until it's very emotionally charged. And at a point where the listening grief. is just not there, it's just like, yeah, grief or mm. could be anger or you need help like that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the subject or the individual that does need could, could do with some help is not mm. going to hear it because they're being made wrong in that moment. So yeah. for what you're saying then about essentially, you know, giving people permission by offering your own vulnerability mm-hmm. and, you know, I've been through this and that's kind of sets the tone. I kind of, um, I use this metaphor um, often. I, I see these videos of, it's not like I search out these videos. I've seen a video <laughs> of like a stranded dog or a dog that's been chained up and it's it's stuck. 
Uh-huh. And it's like baring its teeth and it's really like, it. it's just repelling everybody that's trying to help them. And it just mm-hmm. takes that one person to, to go over and make that dog feel safe, untie it so it feels safe. And when the dog is like untied and feels safe, this is like a completely different dog uh-huh. now. It's like a, just a normal, like a pet that you would imagine. But yeah. two minutes before that, they were like about to bite your head off. So when you were saying about, um, you know, offering up your, your, your vulnerability for me, that's, that's a bit, that's what I saw actually, uh-huh. you know, and um, that's really powerful. I think that's really powerful. And I, I actually, I like the way that you flip that around because um, you know, we're all we're all here we're all clearly you know comfortable with being vulnerable but if we look at the times where we haven't been um yeah what is the the safe what is the safe space or what's the environment that has helped us be open and i think that was just very key so thank you for that thank you sir i I also think peer level is important as well because I think a lot of people say this with the context of, say, trying to get their dads or older people into mm-hmm. stuff. But I'm not a great back man, you know what I mean? Who's, who's experienced some certain things that might, like, you know, that certain people have had. It's <laughs> a great back. <laughs> but, like, you know what Alex I'm saying? Alex dropped it in, like, casually. Like, it was just, like, we just all had to just accept that that is what Alex said. <laughs> but yeah. Alex really comes to say a great back man. No, but like you know what I mean, like yes, I, I, I call like, it. I call it silverback. Silverback. Silver back. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's um, it's one of those ones where you just got to be like, okay, cool. So mm-hmm. I, you will always look at me as your nephew, as your son, as your mm-hmm. as your child, or that mm-hmm. little boy there. So anything that you say around this, I'm not going to really take because you've not been what through what I've been through in the same way that I have, yeah. or because I'm older than you and I've probably experienced it later or differently. And even if you have experienced it early, we don't, we're just not the same. Whereas, <laughs> you know, someone on your peer level, their peer level might be able to just tap into that because they just already have the respect of age. And people would mm-hmm. say, you know, age doesn't matter, but I do think, there's that level yeah. of you are you are my equal in yeah. this context, yeah. um, you know. So yeah, I think that's important to kind of think about too. Okay, guys, this has been an amazing conversation. It really has. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> um, it really has. It's been an honour um, sharing space with you. All. Yeah, thank you. Thank so you. Much. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you and your stuff nathaniel um if you want them to find you <laughs> well i'm at that stage in my life where i pick up private phone calls now when the phone call rings on this <laughs> private private number i'm like i don't care i got nothing to hide hello <laughs> right so you know it's not always been that way right private number what so um if they want to find me and initially my company is talking therapy clinic so talkingtherapyclinic.co.uk is the website. They can book consultations and, you know, they can request training, different programs, workshops um, via that. Also on Instagram, uh, the, the Talking Therapists is there as well. And 
LinkedIn, Nathaniel Arcare, and also I've got a couple of projects coming through. One of them being a workshop. It's a confidence workshop that I'm launching next year. So people that want to improve their confidence. Um, so it's going to be a group workshop. So it's going to be interesting, right? Mm. A group of people and people being open and vulnerable and finding ways in which they can deal with where my lack of confidence has come from and lack of self-esteem has come from. So that one is going to be interesting next year. Yeah. But also I've got this little, this little crazy idea in my brain that I'm going to make happen, right? Uh, which is watching a therapy session, like, you know, filmed therapy session. Ooh. And so that's going to be interesting. So right now I'm looking for pe- different people that would, wouldn't mind doing it. There's not going to be no Jeremy Cow business where you're going to be thrown to the dogs afterwards. You're going to be given free therapy afterwards to cope with what's happened as well. So yeah. that is my baby that I'm thinking of right now. And okay. yeah, but who knows what's going to happen, man. But I'm excited to find out. Yeah, and I think that's that's important as well because when we're learning things like when we when we read when we're watching. Carl Rogers and stuff and he's got like these old videos of him having these therapy sessions yeah. with like people and his techniques and stuff and you're just like oh my days this is like 1960 or something yeah. Yeah. and he's yeah. talking to people yeah. but we need some fresh ones actual ones not blue yeah this is going to be real it's not going to be like blues therapy where yeah. the, the actresses and actors yeah no, no, are no, no, yeah, yeah. Be, yeah, all of that it's going to be real where people are just sitting down and it's going to be edited well produced okay. well Amazing. where you can actually sit down and the reason why I want to do that is to make people actually understand that nobody's going to bite you in therapy. You have to pay them extra mm. for that. Uh, <laughs> <but> within, <laughs> within, within therapy, it's relaxed and it's about connecting to you. It's yeah. not a stiff yeah. situation. Yeah. It's, quite, it's quite loose. And there's a fluidity to it that you can just feel like you're just having a conversation. And before you realize it, you've said about 10 significant things without you knowing it. Right. And that's the beauty of what therapy may look like. Right. So, With someone yeah. that is not, hello, hi, tell me about yourself. You know, <laughs> all of that kind of thing. Just to make it a little bit different, which is going to be me being vulnerable as well, because imagine film yourself, there's going to be every expert going, mm, we didn't ask this question. Yep. So I'm excited about that idea of basically being vulnerable in that situation. So yeah, so I'm looking for clients right now for me to be able to film that. So that's the next thing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I might be interested in that still, you know. It, it's all right, man. You just send. I'm going to send you the fly, send an email. There's an email for it. And also I've got a YouTube channel called The, the Talking Therapist. So a lot of my lives that I did on Instagram, I've put it on there already. So you can even watch that on YouTube for that. But yeah, that's the plan. I'll hold you to that, Richard. All right. <laughs> Offering himself up as tribute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go forthwith, friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it should, yeah, it should be interesting. So hopefully okay. I'll have different type of people, black. Amazing. Why? Yeah. So cool. Incredible. I'm looking forward to that. And um, we yeah. will definitely keep listeners posted on that when those things are released. So just let me know. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Um, with all that being said and done, Ryan, where can they find you? 
Oh, they want to know about me? Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm uh, ryan.nile.show on Instagram. Um, you're mainly going to see me posting up clips of podcasts <laughs> that I'm producing <laughs> at the moment um, for reasons mentioned at the beginning of the episode, if you've skipped. Um, and also you can follow at purecreation. You know, at Pure Creation Media um, on Instagram. Okay. Nice. And Richard. As always, I'm at the one Harris, one the number, not the word, on Instagram, and uh, the one shot.co.uk is my website. Um, but find me on Instagram, drop me a DM. Amazing. That's where I'm at. Mm. And guys, you know where to find me. I am just head over to the heart to heart letters and Substack, alexholmes.substack.co.uk, and yeah, um, just leave your comments around the podcast if you enjoyed and remember don't forget to rate review and subscribe enjoy your day pick yourself up off the floor it's fine i've seen you there i just have to just let you just get there um but get back up um and yeah i'll catch you next week bye bye bye, bye. thank you so much for listening i appreciate you don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And I'll catch you next week. Next week.